0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is the omnipresent Duncan Castles, our transfer guru. Today uh, on the pod, we have news for you from Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, Manchester United. Hero and villain, of course, towards the end of the show, but also some information uh, on Leicester City and Atletico Madrid. However, Duncan, we start with the most intriguing tale of the Ecuadorian midfielder Moises Caicedo, who has been making headlines in this country mainly because Manchester United expressed a very uh, big interest in the player prior uh, to the holiday period before pulling out of any deal for him. And it has now transpired that both Brighton and Newcastle United have entered into a two-horse race for the player's signature. It looked over the weekend like Brighton had secured uh, the Independiente Del Valle player, of course uh, he currently plays in Ecuador and this is drawn probably the most unlikely triangle between Brighton the northeast and central america in, in terms of ecuador uh, a love triangle perhaps duncan that we may have not expected to see um the player is very highly regarded by many people in the game but his fee is of also relatively cheap Who lays like N'Golo Conte of Chelsea, and possibly like Paul Pogba as well. Um, Duncan, you've been diving into this and getting the detail and information of what's been going on. And I think this gives us the opportunity to illustrate to uh, our community of listeners how kind of devious, dark and also complex deals like this can become due to agents fees and also uh, people trying to undercut and over overspend as well on other uh, rivals.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a story we broke on the podcast in December and, and basically everyone followed up that Manchester United had contacted Mois Caicedo and the people uh, involved around that deal to see if they could secure a deal for him. Uh, We told you at the time that Independiente's asking price was 6 million euros with a 20% sell-on. And United, I think, explored this quite a long way. And what they're saying now is that they're out because of complexities in the deal. I mean, you described it as a two-horse race between Brighton and Newcastle United. Certainly yesterday, um, the briefing I was getting was that Brighton looked to have Uh, concluded an agreement with Independiente for 5.5 million euros, um, that they were going to pay a very substantial commission on the deal. Um, The information I have is over a million euros worth of of commission. And um, the expectation was it would be concluded yesterday. Um, Idea, the plan being for Brighton to loan him to their Belgian feeder club, uh, Union Sang Giois, a place where they sent Percy Tau when they signed him from South Africa um, a couple of years ago. And Tau actually just arriving in England, English football this window and, and playing in their FA Cup tie um, in the past few days. Um, and as of yesterday, it seemed they had the player despite Newcastle United making a late attempt to. Um, I undercut them, um, ag- agree a different deal with Independiente, offer better terms, I'm told, to the player and bring them to Newcastle instead. Today that changed. Um, as of this morning, I was being told that there was a major issue with um, one of the agents involved in the deal. Um, information I have is that that agent was not registered agent for Moise Caicedo with the Ecuadorian FA and therefore there was a concern that should the deal be completed with that agent um, as the principal actor in it, there could be an investigation down the line and problems um, with uh, that transfer going forward, which of course is something that a buying club will desperately want to avoid. That's allowed Newcastle United to come back into the negotiations. and and try and work on completing a deal. Um, So you see there complexities with representation of the player, which is something which is very common in South American football. I think on top of that, you have an issue with the um, visa regulations changing for Premier League players. So previously under the old system, Caicedo would not automatically have qualified for a visa, but would probably have got one on an appeal because he, um, on top of that that talent that um, just about everyone who's observed him talks about, he's now a regular starter for the Ecuadorian national team, um, has scored in World Cup qualifying, also scored two in, in six Copa Libertadores. Uh, appearances this season for Independiente. So he he is the kind of talent where you go to the appeal process and you argue, actually, this player is exceptional. Please give us a visa. We have a compromise uh, situation on visas for foreign players post-Brexit, something which was hammered out between the government, the FA and the Premier League and is an interim position and is as yet untested. Um, so the practicalities of getting a player like Caicedo, who in principle should be allowed to come in because the, you know, the conservative party argument on the new visa system is we're not going to let any EU player come in without challenge. We're going to focus it purely on exceptional talents and that will allow more players from other areas of the world to come in. That's the principle. But the, what actually happens is another matter. And Brighton's strategy here, obviously, move the player to Belgium um, in an interim period. You also have a difficulty of bringing a player in during a COVID period and a a quarantine um, time you would have to spend. Let him adapt to European football in Belgium um, with the idea that you move him should should his adaptation uh, move rapidly. And you can get a visa, move him to the Premier League uh, next summer. You described it as a two-horse race. I think until someone has agreed a a fee and and got the signatures on the contract for Caicedo, there is the possibility that another club entirely could come in and a club from another league could come in because he is that highly regarded in world football. Um, I think it's unfortunate for Manchester United that they've decided this is too complex and they want to step away from the deal, or at least their position is that they've stepped away from the deal. That's what they're briefing because he does actually fit very well. As we explained on the podcast last month, he fits very well that profile of top young teenage talents that United have shifted to as part of their cultural reboot recruitment um, and could have been a good addition um, in that area. I think it's uh, it's also very enterprising from Brighton uh, to to try and grab the player when others are, are are stalling over the deal and enterprising from Newcastle United to try and grab the player. There's always a big element of risk involved with players of this age and moving them cross continents at this age. But um, whoever wins this, if you talk to you know, top talent scouts in football. And, you know, we had one of the best talent scouts in football on this podcast just last week in an exclusive interview Lewis Campus. They'll tell you that this player has a very, very good chance of turning out to be top tier.
0: It does beg the question, Duncan, if he is that good and the price is this low, why is it that Brighton and Newcastle United who are in the lower half, of the Premier League are the only two clubs who are competing for his signature. And why did Manchester United walk away? It just seems slightly strange given, you know, what we're used to in these situations, because Real Madrid, Barcelona, etc., have got scouts worldwide. They are always looking at players from the Southern American, Central American continent with regards to recruiting them young. And yet we have this situation where that said, no disrespect, but Brighton and Newcastle are the ones who are in the box seat the signing them.
1: I think two of the factors we've just discussed there. One is COVID and what that's done to, to football finances. And I mean we will discuss through this podcast the way in which some of the big clubs are acting in this window. Um, and, the, and the fact that this window really seems like it's going to be one where most of the movement is concentrated at the end of January. Um, with people trying to exploit the financial difficulties that clubs are in to the maximum to, and, and waiting until that, that last moment to say, well, I, we can offer you this for your player. We know you've got financial issues and you, we know you need to get some money in now, take it or leave it. That, that's certainly the, win- the way the window is shaping up at present, particularly in England. Um, and I think the other element is the complexity of the deal. If, if you know if my information is correct, this this issue with the agency uh, and this agent and the issue with um, an agent who has been pushing the player to European clubs who isn't registered as Caicedo's official agent with the Ecuador FA makes matters messy. And um, you don't, if your finances are limited, if you're being more careful about who you spend money on. And you know, you look at Liverpool at present who in any normal window would go and get a centre-back. But as we've been telling you in the podcast, although they've been looking at those centre-backs, their position has been, we'll wait and see how we do getting through December and January and if we need to go for this or not. But this isn't a normal window. Um, Finances are tight and I think the big clubs um, are being more careful than ever about um, concluding deals.
0: As I said um, at the beginning of this segment, this gives our listeners an illustration of how complicated um, these deals can be. Now, you've explained very well, Duncan, the possibility of there being visa issues post-Brexit, which of course complicates everything with regards to exports and imports in the UK. Uh, including football players. Um, Multiple agents always represent a very big problem for the buying club and also, of course, for the selling club sometimes as well because commission is usually paid on both sides uh, with regards to the agents. But if the agent's not registered and is not an official registered agent with the FA in the country where the player is currently registered with, then... what you do is is you actually put his uh, eligibility to play at his new club at risk as well because if there's an appeal against uh, the fact that the agent wasn't registered, then FIFA can actually intervene and put a ban on the player. So I suppose that's got to be one of the things which maybe Manchester United looked at when they decided they weren't going to pursue Caicedo.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think if you're Manchester United, um, stories about a deal um, being investigated by the FA are going to get a lot more attention and and therefore are, are something you'd have to avoid um, more carefully than if you're, t- with all respect to Brighton, a less newsworthy club. Um that might be a story in Ecuador, but it's not going to be a consistent story in the English press, whereas Manchester United buying a world talent, um, prospective world talent, and and then being stuck not uh, being able to play the player because an um, agent or the clubs involved have asked the Ecuador FA to investigate, and they've passed that on to FIFA, and FIFA and the Ecuador FA say, okay, this... Um, registration is put in suspension, the player can't play, that's a big story and it's more leverage obviously for whoever's contesting the move. So um, yeah, clubs have to be careful when dealing with South American clubs in particular where you have not only this issue of multiple agents, you also quite often have issues of Um, companies or agents owning a percentage of the players transfer rights still in these days when that is supposed to be illegal it is still an effective and an important issue and something that clubs are conscious of when they're dealing with um, these territories and players from these territories So that's the latest update on Moises
0: Caicedo with regards to Brighton and Newcastle One of the things that we always say uh, and you'll all be familiar with is um, if this player is moving uh, who's he going to replace? And of course, there has been lots of speculation regarding Brighton's Mali international midfielder Yves Basuma, a player who is ranked very highly in for his uh, tackles successfully won in this year's Premier League so far. Um, he has taken some time to settle in at the Amex Stadium, but has seems to have come into his own in terms of Uh, his ability to dominate midfield in the last few games for Brighton, despite the fact the results have not all gone their way. Uh, Liverpool and Arsenal have both expressed an interest in Yves Basuma. Uh, Duncan, would you see this as happening in this window, or would you think this is more a summer move for either Liverpool or Arsenal with regards to making a bid for Basuma?
1: Well, Busuma's contract runs till 2023, so he's getting into that danger area for the club who holds his contract. And if they if they don't sell him in the coming summer, then he starts moving into the second last year. Um, transfer value reduces drastically. Um, so Brighton will probably need to extend Busuma's contract or look seriously at any offers they receive for them. Um I think if you look at Liverpool it's clear that Busuma is being thought of as an option to replace One Aldam if he leaves under freedom of contract at the end of the season. Um a similar type of player um performs a similar type of role much younger. You mentioned this statistical um High rating at present. We know that that's one of the, the the filters that Liverpool use before presenting names to to Jurgen Klopp as options um, for new signings. Um, my understanding is that that Klopp has done some work to ask questions um, about Busuma um, to people who who know him well, um, which again would suggest that this this is something that Liverpool have on a list of potential replacements obviously they want to retain Wijnaldum and I think there's a good chance that eventually they might be able to secure a new deal for Wijnaldum because again we're talking about Covid market limited um, cash uh, for these big um, contracts that players like Wijnaldum are looking for Liverpool can say this is a this is a place which has worked for, well for you where you're winning trophies, why change it? Arsenal, um, their priority in this window in midfield has been a creative midfielder. Um, basically someone who's kind of a cross between a number eight and a number ten, so a box-to-box midfielder with the creativity uh, and past creation skills. Uh, I'm told they're working on a pretty limited budget to do that um, of about 20 million euros. So you want a player who would take a fundamental role in the team and, and, uh, and change their midfield in, in an important way, but you're trying to do it for a price that's going to be very difficult to achieve. Um, but is uh, not that player. He doesn't fit that style. But you know, we've talked about how Arsenal have a, a very heavy squad, um, a lot of unhappy players. There are a lot of players in there that Mikel Arteta is not convinced about and would like to shift out. And I think in that regard, you can see Busuma as an option, um, Premier League ready. He's he's had his adaptation period. He had a very difficult first year where I'm told he wasn't particularly focused um, on football. Um, the way he was living wasn't the the, the best possible in terms of being surrounded by friends rather than having close family there, that's changed. And, and he's proved himself within the division. And, you know, that kind of step up from Brighton to Arsenal after a few seasons in the Premier League, where your numbers are starting to look good, um, when you're just 24, when your contract's getting to a level where you could be secured for a reasonable price, is not uh, an unusual one. So it doesn't surprise me that um, these c- clubs are doing the preparatory work. Um, whether they will be able to put enough money on the table to convince Brighton, and whether they'll remain convinced throughout the season that Buxom is the number one solution in those positions, that that is an open question.
0: Faster looking for a uh, eight-stroke ten, Duncan. I reckon Frank Lampard might be a good uh, option for them.
1: You <laughs> suggesting that Frank Lampard might be available soon?
0: <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, at his age, you could probably still do a job for that Arsenal team, that's all. <laughs> even at his age. <laughs> Interesting, is that I mean, I know that we, I, I don't like harping on about this, but the fact that Arsenal are looking for creative midfielder and they've got Mesut Ozil sitting on the bench. Uh, not even sitting on the bench, sorry, sitting in the stands watching. Um, this seems crazy
1: sitting at home on Twitter most of the time I think
0: it seems to be the case yeah, yeah. oh well uh, we shall uh, check with Fenerbahce for you all to find out if that's going to go ahead in this window um, certainly Ozil himself is suggesting that's his preference in terms of moving uh, in January
1: should he go to Turkey I, mean, I think he said that should he go to Turkey? were he to go to Turkey the only club he would play for was Fenerbahce
0: as he was a boyhood fan so we would have that brilliant old hoary cliche of I've always supported this club. It was always my dream to play uh, in Kadakoy.
1: Well, look, having having visited Fenner and been to the stadium and experienced the atmosphere there on what wasn't a particularly you know important Europa League game night, I can understand why a player who's made uh, as much money as he's made from the game and is faced with a decision on where he goes next um, and is thinking about the idea of going to Turkey where he's you know obviously has a very strong relationship with the president of the country among other things we'd be interested in going there. It was phenomenal um what I experienced in that stadium and that wasn't on one of the, the important nights. Um, certainly and sorry Arsenal supporters, uh, a definite step up on uh, what you can experience at Ashburton Grove on a on an average Saturday afternoon.
0: Likewise, Duncan, it is incredible. Or uh, anyone who gets the opportunity to um, be in Istanbul to go either to uh, Gala or Krenur Batshu, or indeed Besiktas um, because it is quite an experience to have been to all three and had that privilege. Duncan, we've um, seen in the past that clubs don't make uh, many moves until, <laughs> well, sometimes the final day of the January window. And um, as a result, tend to be exploited in terms of value or price for players that they want to buy. And um, this is a very different window, as you have pointed out, with regards to the effect on football finance, football finances of COVID. And it's our information that both Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur have decided Uh, to wait and see in terms of results. These are two clubs, of course, uh, who are mounting a credible title challenge to Liverpool, um, but at the same time uh, are struggling. Uh, I don't suppose Manchester United struggled financially, but obviously they did make a loss uh, in the last financial year, um, as it spurs. But the idea that Duncan... Forward planning does, includes let's wait and see what happens in terms of results. I, if we're succeeding with what we've got, then why change it and why spend money compared to, well, we've got a real chance of winning the title here? We're talking about a Manchester United uh, who have not won the league since 2013, Spurs, who, are, let's fair to say, have not won the league for quite some time longer than that. Um, But that they're in contention, you would think that now would be the time to speculate and accumulate, and by accumulate I mean points, and so giving the coaches the wherewithal and the tools with which they can then take the club on and sustain their challenge and potentially win the Premier League trophy seems just a little bit short-sighted to me, and You know, having spoken to many uh, recruitment guys at clubs um, prior to this window opening, as well as chairmen and CEOs, everyone said, oh, I'm looking for loans. I'm looking for players out of contract. You know, I've got this for a budget and that. One championship club who've been known to spend quite a lot of money in the past actually approached me and said, we need a striker, which everyone says in January, "Uh, but we can only pay him four grand a week which you know, in like the championship, four grand a week, I mean, the average wage in the championship is 20 plus. So it just seems um, that COVID is really taking a grip and people are being more cautious, as you have referred to, what they want to invest and how they invest it. And it seems that there'll be short-term loan deals done, I think, in the last week of the window, which will take people to the uh, players to the end of the season, potentially with options to buy. Um rather than uh, transfers done on a permanent basis uh, and and clubs uh, committing substantial funds on, say, three and a half, four and a half year contracts, unless it's the right player.
1: You've got a hugely open Premier League at the moment where you have West Ham in 10th place, just seven points behind Liverpool on top. Um, You mentioned Manchester United and Tottenham. Manchester United tonight can go top with a draw against Burnley when they're their game in hand, um, and could go three points clear if they win that, but they play Liverpool at the weekend. Um, so well, in principle, they could be six points clear by the start of next week. Tottenham are four points off Liverpool with that game in hand, four points off Manchester United. Um, I don't think Tottenham seriously see themselves as contenders for the Premier League this year. I think the aim is Win a trophy and they're in the League Cup final and get Champions League football back. But as we've discussed, there is an opportunity there because the pace has fallen off so much this season. So, I mean, just you look at the numbers on the last three seasons and after 16 games, uh, we had Liverpool top and 46 points in 1920, 1819, Liverpool top 42 points. Um, And 2017-18, Man City top 46 points. The 33 points that Manchester United have got after 16 games would have just got you third last season, just, and you'd have been 13 points off the top. would have been sixth the season before uh, and nine points off the top. And 17-18 season, it would have got you third, just, and 13 points off the top. So it's it's compressed, it's concertinaed. When you look at Manchester United and you look at Tottenham, you look at clubs and individuals who are have set patterns of working in the transfer market. So Daniel Levy has been specialising in transfer market deals for over a decade now and he considers himself to be one of the best operators in that market. He has a long tradition of doing things at the last minute. Um, This, as we've been talking about in this podcast, there is the opportunity to get cut price deals at the last minute in this market or to get a player that um, you wouldn't normally be able to get because teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona are trying to offload on a loan deal with an option to buy. And one player who's been mentioned here is Eder Miletown, the centre-back at Real Madrid, who's out of favour there. Um, Madrid are trying to offload the player. They want ideally to sell, Uh, I'm told they're asking prices 50 million euros, but there is the possibility there that you could get Militown on a a six month loan deal with an option to buy at the end of the season. And you're getting a player who was very highly rated and chased by a lot of clubs before he he went to Madrid, um, who would strengthen in central defense, which is an area we know Josie Mourinho as targeted um, to improve. He's not left-footed. And we told you that Mourinho's preference is to get a left-footed centre back in, but, you know, compromise in a, in a difficult situation. But what I can tell you is, as of um, yesterday, Mourinho had not, still had no indication from the club that there would be a budget to sign players, which, as we discussed in the la- last podcast, suggests that Levy is playing his hand carefully, not just with the clubs, he's dealing with, but also with his manager in that he's not committing and saying, yes, I will give you a player in one or two positions, central midfield being the other one he wants to strengthen in, um, and this is your budget to work with. It's hold to the last minute um, and let's see what's available, which is kind of what he did in the summer because Mourinho went through the summer expecting to have very little Done expecting to have to sell players to buy or to do loan deals with options to buy, and in the end got a reasonable amount spent. Um, Got a lot of new players in and a lot of big name players in. Got a reasonable amount spent, not a massive amount in the in the scale of of spending. Um, There's been um, in the Premier League in recent years. For example, I think the total spend by Tottenham in the last window was less than Manchester United spent on Harry Maguire's transfer fee, but a lot better than Mourinho expected and very happy with it. Manchester United, the pattern with the Glazers has been once they see success on the field and at the moment they are seeing success on the field because they're in a position to go, as I said, six points clear by the start of next week. Historically, since Alex Ferguson has left, that has been the time when they've reined in the spending. So the, their, their understanding of the situation has been well, things are working, we've spent a lot of money, which they have done um, over the course of the period since Ferguson left, for sure. that the, the total spend on on transfer fees and, uh, and wages has been huge, not the biggest in the Premier League, but it has been huge. But it's come in waves. Um, and I think Solskjaer, therefore, has got himself into a slightly difficult position because we can all see that the squad needs reinforcing still. It's the best squad they've had since Ferguson era. They've got great central midfield. They've got very good attacking options, but there are issues in defense, um, self-inflicted because of Maguire in particular. There are issues in defense. Solskjaer wants a center back for obvious reasons. He'd like a backup right back. Um, For next season, they're looking for uh, a new striker, depending on what they do with Cavani, and they're looking for a midfielder. So Solskjaer knows he needs more, and he and I think he probably knows that their their position is at present is somewhat fortunate, and it it they are where they are because the other teams have come back to them. But he's now getting him in a self in a situation where um, a couple of good results could end up in the Glazers saying, "Well, what you've got now is good enough to be top. Um, we're just going to make you stick with that." Uh, thanks very much uh, for the cultural reboot, and thanks very much for getting us to the top of the division but we don't think we need to spend because no one else at the top is spending and and you're already there.
0: Well, I'm told, Duncan, uh, interestingly, the communication uh, to the football department regarding recruitment in this month was that uh, they will wait until after the um, top of the table clash, as it probably will be uh, on Sunday against Liverpool, uh, before deciding um, what and if they're going to spend in this window. And it's true, ironically, if they beat Liverpool and they go clear at the top, it's less likely that Solskjaer will be given funds to strengthen his squad rather than strengthening from a position of strength, which is normally what certainly Ferguson would do um, in his time at the club. So it is an odd situation, but also we are living in a strange world right now. So I guess we can't really... Uh, be so surprised about the fact that clubs are playing a waiting game uh, in terms of wanting to see exactly how things are going before uh, looking to commit funds.
1: Yeah, and I, I think if you look at what Solskjaer said um, ahead of the the Burnley game, there's you know there's some indication there of of his desire to get more investment on the field. I mean, he talked about. We have players who should play on the front foot, aggressive work hard and be hard to play against no matter what. Well, you could ask questions about whether he did that in the Leipzig game. But but talking about the team's position, he said it's important for us to start to show ourselves up among the top four. We've only been top four three times since Sir Alex left. So if we can do that again after finishing third, if you can improve on third, it's progress. See, you know, he's trying to underline that what they did last season, um, albeit with their, their second lowest points total in, in Premier League history was unusual in that they managed to get in to the top four and uh, and that they need to make ensure they stay there. I mean he said when I played it was a different ball game. We were really disappointed if we didn't win the league. We were third once and most of the time we were challenged by one team. Now the league is different. So many other teams can challenge and look at themselves as candidates to challenge the top team. Now that, that's actually factually inaccurate. Um, he played for Manchester United between 1996 and 2007. They finished third three times um, during his, his time at the club, not just once. And in fact, they finished three times in a period of four seasons in third place. Um, but He's obviously right that there are more teams who can challenge at the top than in that period in which he was a player, and um, and I think he's right that if they want to capitalise on this opportunity, this unusual opportunity that's been handed to them by COVID and been handed to them with some some interesting um, refereeing decisions and some some breaks and and I think with Bruno Fernandes uh, turning himself into the team's first player and changing. Um, the dimension of the team in a way, then, then maybe now is the time to build on that when the market is um, fragile and when they, and to, to use a word are used, um, ahead of the first COVID window, when they can exploit other teams. Because realistically, this is a period when anyone who wants to spend can exploit the weaknesses and the lack of liquidity in football to get players at a far cheaper price um, than you would normally and you know we had Lewis Campus on talking about I think if I remember correctly saying that the uh, he'd uh, read an assessment that market values had gone down to 2015 levels um, from the 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 transfer fees that were paid pre-covid which is a, a massive drop in pricing.
0: I'm sure you've heard the same duncan but uh, speaking to any chairman owner or chief executive of a football club um they've they will always tell you they've never worked with a manager who said that he didn't want another player they're, they're never happy there's always someone that they could get or want to improve their squad and in a way you can understand because the manager's job is the first one to go when the team don't perform and they don't get results but interestingly Uh, Again, in this particular window and in this particular financial climate, um, disposing of players is is just as important as recruiting players is. And you have news for us of a departure uh, from Leicester, which has a knock-on effect for Lyon.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to give you one exception there to a manager who was happy with what he had, and that's Javi Garcia who, um, if you remember, we, d- we discussed this at the time when he was on a good run at Watford. Um, he was actually telling the Pozos, don't buy any more players. Don't sign any more players. My squad is too big. I can't handle uh, no, <laughs> the number uh, of players, unhappy players I had that's here. That's
0: interesting, though. That's interesting because the Pozzos were almost taking the position of the manager there because they were the ones who buy the players. Exactly. We'd always like another player.
1: Exactly. There's, there's the exception that proves the rule because they were doing it for trading and profit purposes. Yeah, um, yeah two players moving. Uh, one leaving Leicester City, Islam Slimani, um, who is, oh, as we were recording, was due to take medicals at Lyon. Um, he's agreed a free transfer to a, a club who are actually top of the French League at present ahead of PSG and Leo. Um, He had six months left of contract at Leicester, um, but he's joining on a free and an 18 months deal at Lyon. Um, I'm told that there was interest from Fiorentina, but he chose Lyon because of the opportunity he hopes to play in the Champions League next season to win titles. And also because it's a league he knew. Um, He spent uh, last season uh, on loan at Monaco. Scored nine in eighteen games in that COVID-shortened season with with seven assists, which I think is why um, Lyon have taken the opportunity to secure what they think is a, a proven goal-scoring striker um, for that attempt to take the the French title off PSG. It's also allowed them to move on Moussa Dembélé, um, who had grown unhappy um, at Lyon uh, with his playing time, and obviously. Um, over a refusal to sell him when when big clubs were interested in previous windows. Um, From Leon's perspective, uh, I'm told they feel it's a good uh, switch to get a player who was unhappy out of the squad uh, and hopefully uh, make a decent transfer fee from him in the summer. He's going to Atletico Madrid. Uh, From their perspective, a great deal because they get to take a striker who scored heavily Um, pretty much wherever he's been on loan for half a season with an option to buy and take a decision over that transfer dependent on how he does in their Spanish league campaign where they also have an opportunity to win the league. But yeah, you've got an example there of um, clubs trying to move players out um, and and making creative solutions uh, when they don't actually have a great deal of money to spend on transfer fees and two goal-scoring strikers switching directions with with no fee involved at this point in time.
0: And as I said, that's uh, an example of how clubs and managers are uh, desperate to dispose of players as much as recruit in this window because they know that trading has become more important than uh, just simply adding to their squad and hoping that things work out. Duncan, there's been a a report um, by the accountancy firm KPMG published this week, in which they um, have looked at the finances in football across the top six leagues in Europe and estimate that 4.5 billion pounds will be lost across those leagues and the ones taking the biggest hits will probably be the uh, more elite clubs because their revenue, obviously, is dependent uh, more on uh, what they see as liquidity because of, obviously, uh, larger stadiums and also uh, match day revenue, etc., etc. And well the broadcast revenue has also reduced as well, uh, as so, ha- so therefore has marketing um, and merchandising. Uh, that- this will be uh, felt more severely in the summer window than it is now in the January window. And I thought it was very interesting that the Wolves head coach, Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, when doing a pre-match interview this week, mentioned, uh, was asked basically about should there be a second suspension stroke shutdown of football um, because COVID is becoming... Uh, extremely dangerous now. Um, We've had the government in the UK tell us that we're at a critical point in terms of the second wave. But not only that, um, positive tests amongst Premier League clubs have increased uh, to an alarming um, number in terms of where they were at the beginning of the testing and the beginning of the restart. What Nuno said was that he sees uh, any shutdown of football in this country as hastening uh, the advent of a European Super League for two reasons. One, because obviously uh, it would uh, help clubs, especially the elite clubs, recover their finances um, in a much shorter period of time, say, over the next two to five years than they might do had they just simply uh, persisted with the status quo. Uh, But also uh, because that would be a case that um, Travelling, uh, obviously, in between games and clubs for those fixtures as well um, would give them the opportunity also to um, maybe avoid certain um, restricting, uh, restrictions in terms of travel because they could live in biosecure bubbles, uh, which, of course, we've seen many sports teams do in rugby and cricket uh, and successfully uh come back with negative tests, where, of course, football still seems to be quite open. And as I said, the tests have actually proven positive. The European Super League is something we've discussed a lot in the pod, Duncan. Um, Do you think Nuno's got a point with regards to the financial impact of a second uh, lockdown, and especially with the consequence of uh, a European Super League?
1: I think he does have a point Um, because okay, certainly the cl- case that clubs are struggling for liquidity, we've seen Arsenal do what Tottenham did and take a 100 million um, government loan um, up until the end of the season uh, to ensure that they don't run, run into liquidity issues. There are a number of clubs trying to either get government money or um, secure private funding at present because they see that it's now looking very unlikely that we'll have fans in at any time um, uh, and certainly that we'll have full stadia in at any time until the end of this season. So uh, that cash shortfall that we're hoping would be bridged by um, stadiums opening up again is is only going to get worse. Look, we talked about this. We talked about European Super League pre-COVID. We did a, another podcast with Roger Mitchell um, after COVID hit and Roger Mitchell I think described the pandemic as the Franz Ferdinand event and, and the one that would accelerate that change to U- European Super League. Roger and other people um, who focus on the financial future of the game and the geopolitics of the game are convinced that a European Super League is inevitable. Um, he believes it's it's this is going to be the kick that accelerates the, the change to Super League. So I think Nuno might be wrong if in the sense that I think this is going to happen regardless, but he's not wrong that another shutdown um, would accelerate the process. And, and it's a really interesting dynamic and something that he was talking about there is that you have clubs who think that morally – the right thing to do. And from a health perspective, the right thing to do is to stop playing. And, you know, not so differently from what we saw when there was a debate over whether we restart the Premier League season or not, the clubs who are struggling at the bottom of the league tend to be the ones who um, are looking for a second shutdown. You know, you can say from Sam Allardyce's perspective, for example, it might not be a bad thing to be allowed some time to work with his his new West Bromwich Albion squad and get them into shape and, and try and keep them up. So it, it could suit him from a pragmatic point, regardless of anything else, to have a second shutdown. But you know, what Nuno's saying here is if we shut if we stop for COVID now. The schedule would go crazy. It would be impossible to even finish the league season and think about the European championships. So my feeling is that we stop everything, would change and a new football would come. There would probably be a Super League. There would probably be other competitions. And then it would be a matter of which club survives. It's a tough decision to make. Everybody has been trying hard and all of us has the moral obligation to do our best to keep on going. That doesn't mean we are insensitive to what is happening around us, but the spirit is required in these moments. If we go and complain about all the situations, the answer is clearly, shall we stop? But giving up now would have big impact on the future for sure. Um, And that is an important decision that people are going to have to make. I think it's going to be balanced out by the majority of the clubs wanting to carry on because they need the the TV revenue. They don't want to be handing money back to um, the, the TV companies again, as they did last time around. He's absolutely correct that there's no space in the fixture list, even the few postponements that have been forced upon teams on an ad hoc basis. Are going to make it very difficult to complete before the European Championship and you know there's a huge question over how that European Championship is going to be run and if it can be run because this, remember is supposed to be a multi-country multi-city European Championship um, they are still intending to have that with spectators in the stadium um, how you do that in the midst of um, what is likely to still be a severe pandemic um, I don't know. I don't think it is credible to 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 stick to the existing structure. So then you're going to have to look to do something like UEFA did with the Champions League. Um, probably concentrate it in one country, and um, probably do it with by putting the teams in bubbles and with no spectators at, at the stadium. But you know, for sure, we have a, a lot of immediate term problems for football to solve, and they are going to turn into medium and long-term problems that will have a, a, a massive effect on uh, the finances and, uh, and I think the survivorship of, of a lot of current professional football clubs in England and other countries.
0: Of course, we should point out that uh, Roger Mitchell, uh, our good friend, was not referring to the band Franz Ferdinand, but to Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, of Austria-Hungary who of course was assassinated in Sarajevo in 1914 uh, at the hands of the Serbian Black Hand and one in particular, Gavrilo Princip. That's the end of the history lesson, over to heroes and villains. I suppose Gavrilo Princip could count as a villain, but we're not (laughs) going to name him in this particular Transfer Window podcast as I'm not sure where he plays and what position in football, but you know, he may have been a goalkeeper. Uh, he certainly threw the bomb, uh, that's for sure. Uh, Duncan, I want to hand you over for your hero because uh, I think it's a very, very um, positive story in these times.
1: Well, with a name like that? He has to be a number 10 or a centre forward, surely.
0: Uh, well, to be fair, Gavrilo Prinkep, <laughs> it's a classic number 10 name. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, you, could have, you could have Gav on the back. <laughs>
1: Heroes of the week, I think. Um, We're going to give it to Tottenham supporters who rallied behind Marine in the uh, FA Cup with Marine not able to have spectators in the stadium and uh, various of them set up uh, crowdfunding exercises to buy virtual match tickets to that FA Cup tie and and raised um, several thousand pounds from doing so, which I think was a generous and... uh, a move on the part of supporters in, in difficult times. So, um, Heroes of the Week, Tottenham, Hotspur supporters.
0: It just shows you that, you know, that football fans are a community regardless of rivalry and tribalism. And, you know, they will um, support each other, uh, not just their own clubs, when uh, things are tough. Um, I'm going to stick with that game, Duncan, for the villains of uh, the last few days. And they will be uh, the Mergerside Police, strangely, uh, because they allowed, albeit, you know, Marine supporters obviously were um, implicit or complicit in in gathering to welcome players off the team bus ahead of that FA Cup third round tie against Tottenham. But as many people have pointed out, there was uh, certainly no social distancing, and there was no police control of um, the crowd that gathered. And given that police forces in other parts of the country um, were busy arresting two people for having a walk in a country park while holding a cup of coffee and calling it a picnic, uh, not arresting, sorry, giving them £200 fines, it does seem there's an inconsistency there. And at this very, very dangerous moment in the COVID pandemic, that just seems irresponsible not to police it properly. Uh, so uh, we hope that um, the police in Mergerside will take note, and uh, when bosses arrive in future, and we're still in the situation where we all need to be very careful with regards to COVID, then they will take action. Sorry for um, being a bit of a downer there on the Marine fans, but uh, I'm not blaming you specifically, just saying that perhaps it could have been handled better. So that was the Transfer Window and um, we will be back later this week, uh, of course, uh, with all the transfer news. If you uh, liked what you have heard, then please um, subscribe to uh, our YouTube channel, which you will find via, via a very easy search. Turn on all notifications and that way you will get first notes when we publish the next podcast. Uh, as far as getting in touch with us, and you know that we love it when you do, you can subscribe uh, also uh, and look us up on our media social media platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And individually, Duncan is on at Duncan Castles and I'm at Garbo SJ. We look forward to uh, bringing you all the news later in the week. But for now, stay safe, be well.